You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joined in God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you look at the Christian calendar, today is called Pentecost Sunday. And it is called Pentecost Sunday for that reason. It falls on the heels of the same time in terms of the chronological order of Resurrection Day, of Easter, of Ascension Day, which was Thursday, and then of Pentecost. And what I find interesting in this story is that God's people had gathered together, worshipers of Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, gathered together on a regular day and a regular festival, the Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost, and they, they gathered with an agenda and with an intention. And the agenda and the intention was outlined in what we call the Old Testament, was outlined in the Hebrew Scriptures. And they were going to go and they were doing their thing. But then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and he interrupts the whole shooting match. The whole thing gets jacked up. The Holy Spirit does what he does, and the text says they, they, hear, they hear these languages they hear these, these men speaking of these tongues that, that they shouldn't really be able to speak. And, 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 and it shouldn't make sense because I'm Egyptian and why am I hearing my language from this Galilean? And it gets their attention. And it gets their attention so much they begin to start wondering what's going on. And they ask questions and it disorients them a bit. And from that point forward, they, they now have God's attention. The Holy Spirit interrupted the place and now God has their attention through this divine interruption. and Now they get to hear a message that will literally change their eternity. That will not only change their lives, that will not only change their day. They had a plan that day. Not only now does the Holy Spirit say something that changes their day, changes their week, it changes their life, it changes their eternity. See, that's what happens when the Spirit of God has his way and he divinely interrupts When he divinely interrupts our lives, it's always for our good and to the glory of God. It's always meant to change our lives. The problem is, when the Holy Spirit divinely interrupts us, it oftentimes just interrupts our day. This week was a hard week for many in our church family because we experienced great loss. Last week we talked about spiritual moms and we lost a spiritual mama and sister Ruth. The last few years of her life have been very difficult. But about 48 years ago, the Spirit of God laid down a divine interruption in her life and in the life of Claude's and in the life of many other men and women and who are no longer with us. Because 48 years ago when these folks were just worshiping with the Lebanon church, The Holy Spirit divinely interrupted their life by simply saying, I want something in Williamsburg. And so Ruth and Claude and a few other families tore themselves away from this church that they loved. And the leadership of this church wrapped around these families and said, we bless you, go out and plant this new church that we now all enjoy called Williamsburg Christian Church. See, the truth of divine interruption is that if you're here today and you've been blessed by this church, you're blessed because of lives like Sister Ruth Brown who listened to the Holy Spirit one day, allowed God to divinely interrupt her life and the life of others. And we just now sit on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. This week we lost a spiritual father in George Brooks. One of the things that I don't care a lot for is the fact that we have two services. Now we have to. We have to by sheer numbers. When people, when, when, when we have a more consistent gathering of attendance, if all of our people show up, we are shoulder to shoulder second service, as many of you have experienced, and first service is, you know, gets kind of full sometimes too. 
The problem with two services is we can go on through our life together and miss people that are a part of our family. So many of you didn't have the joy of knowing George Brooks. But I'm going to miss that man because I knew him pretty well. I spent time with him and his family. And he was my amen corner. So I'm going to miss his amen. That's how we would do it too. See, George was a man who lived by divine interruption. Even in his last days in his battle with cancer, if he was at the doctor's office, he would always ask everyone in the doctor's office two questions. Hey, what's your name? And do you know Jesus as Lord and Savior? That was his life. Some people said, yeah, I do. Some people said, no, I don't. And the people said, no, I don't, George would say, you want to hear about him? And the ones that did heard about him. The ones that didn't, he prayed for. Can I pray for you anyway? I was a man who lived his life by divine interruption. See, by divine interruptions, I mean this. When God moves in to interrupt your agenda and your plans and your priorities to get your attention and obedience. See, somewhere along the life, Susie was just kind of walking on doing her thing and the Holy Spirit divinely interrupted her life in a very, very disruptive way and said, hey, I'd like for you to give a kidney to one of my kids. And so she did. So make no mistake, divine interruptions will cost us something. They're always for our good. And they're always for the glory of God. And if there's one thing we learn on Pentecost, is it's just that. That day, 3,000 plus Jews walked away from their faith. You ever thought about that? Laid down everything they had lived to know to embrace this king called Jesus the Messiah. All because of a divine interruption. And their eternities changed. And their communal life changed. Everything about their lives changed. See, divine interruptions can be those kairos moments for sure when God breaks in in a very particular way. But, but I'm convinced that divine interruptions happen to all of us on any given ordinary day in the ordinariness of our lives. I don't believe divine interruptions always happen with burning bushes and, and our Bible begins to glow and John's image comes around us in a silhouette where he's glowing, singing a song. I mean, I think, which would be frightening, I think that I think what happens ultimately is in the ordinariness of our day, the Holy Spirit wants to divinely interrupt our life to get our attention for obedience because God is always moving and he's always working and we always have his attention listen Christian you always have God's attention the only question you've really got that you need to concern yourself with is does he have yours because we've always got his see divine interruptions he interrupts your day and he hijacks your agenda because that's just what the Holy Spirit does The Holy Spirit is the one who divinely interrupts us. He interrupts your day by bringing an unexpected someone into your presence. He interrupts your day by that desperate text message that reads, Are you free to talk? I need someone to talk to. He interrupts your day with the phone call from a hurting friend right after you sat down to watch your favorite TV show. He interrupts your day when you're in a hurry. See someone with a flat tire alone on the side of the road and you feel the conviction to stop and help despite the appointment you're running to get to. He interrupts your day when you just got your tax return and soon after it hear about someone who has a deep financial need that you now know you have the ability to meet. He interrupts your day when, 
when you are casually asking someone in a church gathering, how are you doing with no intent other than just simply to be pleasant and small talk, but as you start to walk away, you see the look on their face and you see the sadness wash over them and you know at that point you need to stop what you're doing and listen. He interrupts your day when your seat is taken and you're bumped to a different seat, maybe a different table, and you find you're being connected to someone who's in desperate need of just someone else to listen. He interrupts your day or maybe even your weekend when you learn that a friend needs help and asks you, even though you already have plans to go to Bush Gardens. He interrupts your day when you have every intention of sleeping in on a Sunday or spend time with your family. And then you show up or you meet a person or you witness a work of God or you hear a message Something happens inside of you because of what you've seen and heard. And then you understand why. See, the problems with divine interruptions is that they're just that. They're interruptions. And nobody likes being interrupted. No one. If you like being interrupted, then I'm going to let Ian hang out with you all the time. No one likes, no one says, man, I, I sure wish there was a toddler to interrupt me in this meaningful conversation I'm having with somebody today. I sure would like to eat my dinner. I wish there was a kid rubbing on my shoulder the whole time and had to go to the potty 17 times. Nobody likes to be interrupted. <laughs> Poor Ian, I, I gotta stop. Um, he's a kid, he's four, he's awesome, and he's cool, and that's how he rolls. But nobody likes it, nobody likes interruptions, and so it makes sense that when the Holy Spirit wants to divinely interrupt us, we're not really down with it, we're not really for it. See, the the problem is, God's not always concerned about our agenda, and our plans, and our priorities. We don't live in a me-centric gospel in a me-centric world. See, because if you're a believer, you already have God. And that won't change. Love him. You have him. You have everything you need in Jesus. And so God isn't interested in my plans and my agenda and my priorities if he has a bigger plan, priority, and agenda that he wants me to be involved with. The problem with divine interruptions, interruptions of the Holy Spirit, It's just sometimes I'm not even open to them. Some of you aren't open to divine interruptions. You come to church, you read your Bible maybe, you pray, but you're not open to divine interruptions. Because some of us live double-fisted lives. Some of us are living double-fisted lives, and we have within each one of our hands already gripped around something. We have career in one hand, and we have taking care of the family in the other. And we have, we have activity with family in one hand, and we've got you know, 110 hours in a work week, and we've got 14 uh, athletic things that our kids are involved in the other. And so guess what? There's no open hands left. When God wants to divinely interrupt and move, your hand isn't open because it's already gripped on something else. And so it's impossible for you to respond to divine interruptions because your hands are already full. And God is a gentleman. He won't always rip our hands from it. He will at times give us what we want. And yeah, then there are times where God will plow our hands out. But it's because he always wants to put something more beautiful in our hands. But too many of us already live double-fisted lives. We're not willing to let go of our agendas, our plans, and our priorities. And so God moves, God speaks, God works, God acts, and we can't even hold on to it. 
because we're too busy holding on to something else and we're too afraid to let go. See, some of us may not be living that way, but we walk around in our daily lives with a do not disturb sign hanging on the door of our heart. And we're just content and comfortable where we are. We don't really need anything else. We don't really need God to move or speak. And I like where I am, or maybe it's a sinful issue. Maybe you like sleeping with that person, or maybe you like doing what you're doing in that activity or that hobby. And, 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 and you just you have a do not disturb sign on your heart, and you walk right by your neighbor, and you don't, you know, you're not a mean person, you're not a malicious person, but you have a do not disturb sign on your heart. And God is moving, but you just don't want to be disturbed right now because things are finally working out for you. Even if God is the one who got you there, we still have this tendency of hanging these signs on our hearts. See, the truth of it is, the Spirit of God initiates. He interrupts. He hijacks. And He does it for the sake of our good and the sake and the good of others. And for the glory of God, He does it because God is a God who is on mission. God is a God who is pursuing us. And God is a God who is pursuing those who do not know Him. And so the Spirit of God interrupts us toward a new present future. A new present future, meaning what's, what's going to happen in the future comes into our lives now. The prayer of Jesus, may your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven, wants to break into our lives. Church, heaven wants to break into your life. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and beauty and justice and mercy and hospitality. All that is good in the glory of God and the heavens want to break into our lives, but we have our hands double-fisted. Are we? We're not into the divine interruptions that God wants to break into. And the truth of Acts 2 and the truth of Pentecost is that the Holy Spirit is about divine interruptions because it says very clearly that the Holy Spirit has been poured on us all. See, I was in a conference a while back. It was a conference filled with scholars and theologians and then me. I don't know why. It was a good conference, but I was by far the dumbest dude in the room. And this uh, church planner and evangelist named Joe Saxton, she stood up and she said this. She said to this room, she said, you all have got more degrees than a thermometer. But do you know the Father's love? And all of these highly degreed men and women in the kingdom of God sat there. It was quiet for a moment. And then slowly you heard a clap. Almost in agreement. You're right. And then the room clapped. We were all humbled by this passionate proclaimer of gospel. See, that's what happens when we're willing to listen. Things can change for us. See, really the question for you is are you open to the Holy Spirit's divine interruption on your life? Will you be willing to let something go? Will you be willing to remove the do not disturb sign from your heart? Or are you just comfortable playing church, doing church, having your social connections because of church? but miss the depth of joy and peace and love and kindness and goodness. Miss the beauty and the presence of Jesus. See, I've got one primary goal in my life. To live my life in such a way that when my wife and my children see Jesus face to face, their response to Jesus is, I thought I knew what you looked like because you looked a little bit like my dad. See, if we're not willing to live our lives in divine interruptions, we're not willing to 
that may not be said. See, because there are six realities that, as I see it, of the Spirit's interruption that I find in the book of Acts. And so we're not going to read Acts chapter 2 again because John took 45 minutes to read it. But but we are going to... It was a lengthy text, wasn't it? It wasn't John's fault. Give me three verses, man, not 47. All right, we are going to read the text, and we're going to identify these six realities of interruption. When you look at chapter 2, verses 5 to 13, you discover the sights and sounds of the Holy Spirit's divine interruption. The sights and the sounds. See, in other words, it's the sight and the sound. When these people, when these people who are showing up at Pentecost, they began to see something different. They began to hear something different. All of a sudden, they heard many different tongues. And, and, and when the Spirit of God interrupts, we, we find that we're all of a sudden involved in many different tongues and cultures. We're surrounded by many different kinds of people. See, ultimately, what you find in chapters 2, verses 5 to 13, is that the Spirit of God will always seek to eliminate our familiarity and comfortability when He interrupts our lives. We're walking along, things sound and look the same, the Holy Spirit interrupts, and all of a sudden now, all of that is disoriented. And that's what you see in verse 12. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Look at their response. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what in the world is going on here? When the Holy Spirit divinely interrupts your life, there's going to be some disorientation. There's going to be some dissonance created in your life. There's going to be, for some of us, an incoherence. What in the world is God doing? What is taking place? I mean, it may lead you to ask odd questions. Make odd assumptions, like these guys did. Well, they must all be drunk. Peter comes back and like, I mean, you know, it's only 9 in the morning. Now, if it were 3 p.m., maybe we would be. I've always wondered why he responded that way. But it makes, you, it makes you respond in an odd way. It makes you ask strange questions because what you define is when the Holy Spirit of God comes into our lives, you cannot be surprised if you're taken off guard because divine interruptions always take us off guard. Right now in your heart, something is taking you off guard, some of you. There may be some conviction settling in. Maybe you're the dad who's had your hands gripped on too many things and you have no time for a divine interruption if God slapped you in the face. Maybe you're the mom who is so self-involved or the human being who's just simply so self-involved that the Holy Spirit could be screaming at you, but you just can't see past your hand. You just can't see anything else because all you see is yourself. There's all these different issues that go on in their lives. And maybe, maybe you're feeling a sense of conviction and maybe you're feeling a sense of disorientation because maybe you're feeling like you need to let something go and you don't just know how that's possible. And you'll go to lunch with me next week or go to coffee and say, well, you don't understand. I don't know how it's possible. And I would say to you, well, if the Holy Spirit interrupted you, he knows exactly how it's possible. He knows exactly what you need to do. All he's asking for you to do is simply obey him and trust him with the consequences. Because that is what it's about. I don't know what God's up to. It's my job to obey him and trust him with the consequences. Don't be surprised when the Spirit of God interrupts you and eliminates your familiarity and comfortability. God isn't after your comfort. He's after your good. And he's after his glory. See, the strange thing about God is that peace doesn't come into our lives because of an absence of chaos or an absence of dissonance. 
two deaths this week that touches our church family and all the many different things of suffering we've experienced can at least demonstrate that. Peace comes not through absence of chaos, but simply through trusting God and learning how to live by divine interruptions. Learning how to, as we like to say, go with the flow. But we're not just going with the flow of the world, we're going with the flow of the Spirit. And we're doing it together. See, because the Spirit of God is no respecter of schedules, agendas, comfort levels, or preferences. Somehow, the Holy Spirit of God will come inside the life of a baptized believer and live inside your heart. He will fit inside your heart, but the Holy Spirit of God will never try to fit inside your preferences. He will not try to fit inside your social politics. He will not try to fit inside your ethical way of life. He will fit inside your heart, but he will interrupt all the other things that he needs to interrupt in order to make you the person that Jesus died for you to become. You look at verse 16 through 21 and you discover then the second reality of the Spirit's interruption. You discover the scope of the Spirit's divine interruption, the scope of it, the breadth of it, the the width of it. You learn very quickly that the Spirit of God and His divine interruptions are not about us only. God's Holy Spirit is not only working in the church. God's Holy Spirit is working all over the world. He is moving and shaking and, and moving all throughout. He's not only moving with people who look like you and talk like you and think like you and smell like you and me, but He He is moving and working and divinely interrupting our lives with people who are nothing like us at all. You look at the text in chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, and you're going to see that the Spirit of God, is when He divinely interrupts us, He interrupts our organized world, our little conventional organizations in which we build our lives around to preserve our stabilities. Now, I I want to repeat that. The Spirit of God will interrupt our organizations our organized way of life, to interrupt our stability. These little conventional systems that we set up in our society, classes and genders and lifestyle orientations, all of those things that we like to throw out there that helps us separate society, the Holy Spirit will disrupt all of that. And you see that in the text. See, because this is a society where women are not nearly as important as men and women do not have the platform of voice and influence as men. This is a society where young men are certainly revealed, revered and, and, and revived and older men and women are kind of discarded. This is a society of slaves, both male and female. This is a society that's developed on caste systems and class. And so then God does this radical thing in Acts chapter 2 when he says, I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. He prophesied this in Job, Joel. I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit on all humanity. And then your son's And your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And I will even pour out my spirit on my male and female slaves. In other words, everyone who calls upon my name will be saved. And everyone and anyone, regardless of what your society says, will be spirit-filled, spirit-indwelled, and have a significant place in the kingdom of God. That is a radical restating and reorganization of society. See, the society that God wants to create when his spirit is poured out is a new society called the kingdom. People who are citizens of the king, we call that the church. And when he does, then the ground is level. Women are level with men. Male, level with female. Slave, level with slave, with rich. Rich, level with slave. Everything is level at the foot of the cross because the spirit of God is poured out. Everyone has a voice. 
Everyone has a gift. Everyone has a place. No longer then can I start to miss the intrinsic worth and value of the human being that walks into my presence and think that because they're African American or Caucasian or Muslim or or Buddhist or Christian or or Arab or or male or female or, or homosexual or straight, no longer can I look at them and think, well, you know, I'm not supposed to be involved in their life. No longer can I look at them and think, well, God isn't really working to save and work in all of those lives. Now, Let me step back. I know all of us would say God loves everybody, but our actions don't always demonstrate that. And see, what this is saying is that when the Holy Spirit's poured out on the community of God's people, no longer do we just say God loves everybody, we actually start looking like it. And that right there makes some of us this this, uh, uncomfortable, doesn't it? That right there. Welcome to divine interruption. Because the scope of the Spirit's divine interruption is that it's not about us, it's about all flesh. The Spirit of God will destabilize our world. He will destabilize our world so that he can restabilize it according to the kingdom of God. He will deconstruct our world and our social norms and what we consider our decorum so that he can reconstruct what he was trying to do in the garden a long time ago and where he's going to go in the end anyway. And he's asked the church to be a part of it. See, the Spirit of God will destabilize our world in order to restabilize it even with his own ethics. Ethics like love your enemy. See, when Christians set out to love their enemy, it changes the world, doesn't it? If we really love our enemy. Like that woman in Richmond who helped that Muslim terrorist find burial ground. The Spirit of God interrupted her life and helped her do it and it has radically destabilized her life. It's a real world application. See, loving our enemy actually looks like something. Considering others more important than yourselves. See, that's hard to do in a society that's all about self. But when we start living this way, it destabilizes society and it reconstructs a new one. One that actually is going to outlast the other when Jesus returns. When we submit to one another, All of these ethics are contrary to the way of our world. All of these ethics are contrary to the way of our culture. All of these ethics are contrary to the way of our society. And all of these ethics are what the Holy Spirit is desiring to do when he divinely interrupts your life, my life, and our life together as a church. He did it in Pentecost, and he's been doing it ever since. The third reality of a Spirit's divine interruption is the personal identity of the Spirit who interrupts our life and how the personal identity of the Spirit is rooted in Christ. I want a sidebar. The Holy Spirit is not an it. When you're talking about the Holy Spirit, he is a he, not an it. He's not some ethereal, ambiguous sort of mystic power that flows through whatever all that means. He is a part of the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. He is a he, not an it. And his identity is wrapped up in Jesus himself. Acts chapter 10, verse 38, the testimony of Jesus. Jesus shows us what it means to live a spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, spirit-interrupted life. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Jesus is our identity of the Holy Spirit's life. He is how we know who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit wants to move and how the Holy Spirit wants to work. When you look at verses 22 through 31, you read there a prophecy of David who long ago was divinely interrupted by the same Holy Spirit who prophesied about the resurrection. That whole text there is about resurrection. 
where David is saying, I have seen what God is going to do in the Messiah and how he's not going to leave him there for decay in Hades. He will resurrect him. That's what the Spirit of God does. Even in our fallen, sin-stained world filled with slavery and slavery even death, which are all effects of a conventional world, God deals with our death-dealing, death-defying practices through his Holy Spirit and changes it all. And he does it through Jesus. The personal identity of the Spirit is wrapped up in the person and the life of Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says in Acts 2, when Jesus ascended, he said in John 14 and 13, he was going to have to ascend so he could send the Spirit to all of God's people. And that is what we saw in Acts chapter 2, is in the ascension of Jesus, Jesus then sending the Holy Spirit to his people. See, his Holy Spirit lives within us now. When you walk into this building and you walk into this room, there's a sign that calls this room the sanctuary. There's a problem with that. This room isn't a sanctuary. It's just a room. See, because the Bible's plain in Corinthians that those who are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, they become the sanctuary of God. You, Christ-following believer who is Holy Spirit-filled, you are the temple of the living God, not a building. You are God's new building according to the New Testament. Because now the Holy Spirit lives personally inside of you and you now become a holy person in a holy place. Not because you're good and not because you're perfect, but because of the gracious work of God and Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You've received the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life and now you are a Holy Spirit indwelt person. You are now the sanctuary of the living God. And when you love your neighbor, you are taking God to your neighbor. When you are loving one another, you are making present the presence of God in a very particular way. You never have to wonder if God is around you or near you because there's a strong chance he's been living inside of you the whole time if you believed in him. See, because what we learn in Acts 2, 32 to 36 is another reality of the interrupting spirit is that the interrupting spirit sent by the interrupting Christ is the one who sends us as his witnesses. See, in verse 32 to 36, that's all Peter is saying. Peter is saying in verse 32, hey, God has resurrected this Jesus, and we are all witnesses of this. And then those of us who become resurrection people, those of us who are buried with Christ in baptism into death and are risen to walk a new way of life, those of us who are resurrected people by grace through faith, those of us who have trusted Jesus with our lives, those of us, we then become spirit-filled, resurrected people. We then become the witnesses of resurrection. We become the living witnesses to the living Christ because of the living spirit living within us continually given to us by Christ, continually interrupting as an ongoing work to renew and restore all of humanity, living within you, living within you, church. The Spirit of God living within you, wanting to work within you, wanting to speak with you, wanting to convict you, wanting to comfort you. The question is, do you have a do not disturb sign on your heart? Or are you living a double-fisted life? See, in chapter 2, verse 36 to 40, we discover another reality of divine interruption. We discover the desired result of the Spirit's divine interruption. When the Spirit interrupts, there are always promptings that call us for a response. In, the, in, in Acts... In Pentecost, you don't hear the guys and the gals there, the 3,000 or so, leaving the gathering going, man, did you see God move in that place? 
That was awesome. I love my church. That wasn't their response. And their response wasn't, oh, Peter, he just, he brought the word today. And if they'd have had a praise band, they wouldn't have complimented that either. That wouldn't have been what they experienced. See, because when the Holy Spirit divinely interrupts our life, he's always prompting us to a response. To a response that will lead to repentance or to transformation, always. When you feel the Spirit of God moving in your life, you need to ask two questions. God, what are you saying to me? And then number two, what do you want me to do about it? Always. See, because when you see verse 36, and the Spirit of God convicts these men and women to the heart, they ask, what do we need to do? We just killed the king of Israel, because that's what they did. They realized that. We just killed the Messiah. We just killed the one that we have given our lives waiting for. What do we do, Peter? And Peter said to them, repent. See, the Spirit of God is always interrupting us toward repentance. What do you need to repent of in your life? He called for them to be baptized. Because the Holy Spirit always calls for baptism upon repentance to a person who's never heard the gospel before. He's calling for the baptism of everyone who repents. Baptism is becomes something that's put off until next week, next year, next month, whenever we're ready, whatever that means. But if you gave your life to Jesus Christ according to Scripture, you're ready and the Spirit of God calls you to baptism. He's calling for the baptism of everyone who repents. So Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And in verse 40 and 41, we discover that that day, that day, all who heard the message were baptized. And it becomes this, this new community where forgiveness of sin is experienced and where the Holy Spirit's gifting has been poured out. The Holy Spirit himself has been poured out and new life has been experienced. And now transformation of every life begins to happen because when the Holy Spirit divinely interrupts, he's calling for transformation. The desired result is a transformation of every life that gives birth to a new kind of community of people, a transformed community, church, that then goes out and begins transforming the world. Why do we transform the world? Because we are divinely interrupted people. Our norms are different than the world's norms. And our way of life is different from the world's way of life. And we love all and all, everything changes for us. And when we take that to the street, when we take that to the workplace and to the neighborhood, and people see that and they taste that, and they're welcomed into that, everything changes. Now, we, we live this out so imperfectly, but this is our trajectory. This is who we've got to be. Because he's calling for the surrender of every life to the kingship of Jesus our Lord. And in verse 40, he says, this is for all generations across time and space. It will not and it cannot be limited by conventional traditions or institutions in which we build our lives around to preserve our stabilities and comforts. This church might have been comfortable to you three years from now, five years ago, three years ago, ten years ago. It may be comfortable more to you now than it will be ten years ago. And the Holy Spirit's not asking whether or not you're going to be comfortable ten years from now. And he wasn't asking whether or not you were comfortable five years ago. He's asking, what are you going to do to put skin on the gospel with these beautiful people I've brought into a room with you and i brought into life with you, and how are you going to transform the city? I've had many of you say to me at times, I'm not comfortable with some things, and I get that, I can appreciate that, and I don't want to minimize that. I'm not comfortable with a lot of things myself. I'm not comfortable with the glasses I'm wearing on my face every day. 
There's a lot of things I'm not comfortable with. I'm not comfortable preaching in them. I'm not comfortable in a lot of ways in the things that we do. But God has never asked me and you whether or not we're going to be comfortable. Because divine interruptions are never about the comfortability of our lives. Because he knows that somewhere there was a woman who was dying without a kidney. And he wanted Susie to be the one to give it. He knew that somewhere that there was a man who was out there on the street looking at stars every night. And he needed a community to come in and walk alongside them and love them and lead them to the cross. That's what God's after. He knows that somewhere there's going to be a Christian family whose life seems to fall apart at the seams. And he just wants to know, will a church be there for them in the midst of that trial and that trauma? That's what he wants to know. That's how the Holy Spirit interrupts our community. And he says the promise is for all. Because see, there's something else that the Holy Spirit is about. He is about interrupting the status quo. The last reality is that the Spirit's divine interruption of our status quo is an absolute inevitability. We live in a life bent on status quo. We live in a world bent on status quo. Let's keep things comfortable and stable. Well, the Holy Spirit of God in Pentecost and ever since has never been about that. See, the divine interruptions of the Spirit cause for reorganization to happen to and within society at large as old communities are broken down and new ones are created. See, I want you to look at this. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. So now this community that was this 120 people now just multiplied. Mega church time. Now just completely happened. And now look what happened. And then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In order for them to devote themselves to something, they had to undevote themselves to something else. So now they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the word, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And because they were present, because they were present with one another, they were able to see more things that the Holy Spirit was doing. And so fear came over everyone and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. See, the problem with some of us is we're not present enough. So God moves in small group communities. Or God moves in relationships of Christians in this church eating lunch together, our dinners. Our God moves in our gathering. But some of us never see that because we're, we're double-fisted lives or we have a do not disturb sign on our heart. Or maybe some of us just aren't even present enough. And then it says, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. Now, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean everybody liked the same music and wore the same clothes. Everybody probably would have liked the Atlanta Braves in Auburn. A godly community does. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying what they held in common was their stuff, their things. Because it's often the things that keep us from being open-handed to God. And so he says, they sold their possessions and and property and distributed the proceeds to, what's the word? All. As who? Had a need. Anyone had a need. See, this is God's idea, this way of life. I know that there are words up there that are hot-button political words. I get that. Holy Spirit's not interested in any of that. The fact is, the community of God's people, when the Holy Spirit divinely interrupts a society, he is wanting to break down the old communities and interrupt them by creating new ones. And we, church, we're the new one. And then he says, for every day they devoted themselves to meeting together. 
They were together from house to house in the temple. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude. They praised God and they had favor with all the people. And I say this a lot and I say it tongue in cheek, but I say it sadly as well, that there was a time when God's people actually lived this way that other people who weren't God's people actually liked Christians. And see, we're too busy going out with our words and what God is saying. Look, let the Holy Spirit interrupt your life and go out with your life. When you go out with your life, people are going to see that. They're going to see there's something different about this church. See there's something different about these people. See there's something different about this brand of Christian. And then they're going to want to join you. And you can add and you say, join us in this. And then it says, every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. This church wasn't trying to construct outreach programs. This church wasn't trying to create new ways of reaching the lost. They were just living life in public, loving one another and loving anyone who had a need. Their hearts were redirected toward a new way of life, ruled by a new authority, a king, King Jesus. There became this oneness of heart and mind, a family that developed, that demonstrated its oneness of heart and mind as they shared their possessions and, and demonstrated this love and good among one another and even to others. See, now this new community was caught up in what we call missional living. See, that's what happens when the Holy Spirit interrupts our lives and interrupts our community. George Brooks about the last couple of weeks of his life, was scheduled to go in a particular rehabilitation home. And it just happened that he wanted to go to this one home, but he couldn't get in and surely couldn't get all the paperwork done, and so she wasn't. But then they got a phone call out of the blue where a lady said, you know what, he's going to go to the, this, this rehabilitation home instead. And it was the one they wanted. And Shirley said, well, don't I have to fill something out? She said, no, it's just been taken care of. And so Shirley, because she lives her life by divine interruption, she said, Fred, when that happened, I just looked up and said, okay, what now? And Shirley listened to the Lord, and I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit speaks to us, not just through the Word, but through the Word, but I believe with all my heart the Holy Spirit speaks to us. If that makes you uncomfortable, and maybe that's a divine interruption, maybe it's me being theologically incorrect, I'll talk to you about it afterwards, but I think the Holy Spirit speaks to us. All right, and the Holy Spirit said to Shirley, I've got someone there I want George to meet. So she told George that, and that's all you got to do with George. So George shows up in this home, and there's this young man working there. And he was working on George, and George didn't know him long at all. George said, what's your name? He said, Nathan. And George said, you mean Nathan like the prophet? And he said, yeah. And this young man, Nathan, began to tell George about how he was raised in a Christian home, but how he had just wandered far, and his life was just... For some reason, he just opened his life up to George. So George listened to this young man, and then George shared with him the reality of the gospel. Later on, that very same day in the evening, that young man came to George in tears and said, our conversation has changed my life. I called my mother. See, that's divine interruption. 48 years ago, when Ruth and Claude were enjoying their church family out at Lebanon, and the Holy Spirit interrupted their lives, And they were willing to let go of some very meaningful eternal relationships to start new ones. A new one called Williamsburg Christian Church. See, that was a divine interruption. For years, church, we have believed and worked under the premise of the old quote that comes from Field of Dreams. You know that movie with Kevin Costner, one of the greatest actors to ever live? (laughs) But it did have James. 
<laughs> it did have James Earl Jones in it, though. He's good. King James Version Bible, book on tape. Oh, come on. Great. There's a line in there that says, if you build it, they will come. Or if you say it like James Earl Jones did, if you build it, I can't do it, they will come. And so that's what we did in the church. We built it. And that's what we think will work. Well, if we just build a fellowship hall and more space, look, we need more space. But if we build, you know, this and we build that and we, we get new chairs and we wear new clothes and we get new praise music and we build it, if we build it, then we're all just going to come Sunday and we're going to be standing like this to the, to the whole city and they're just going to come on in. We built it and they ain't coming. Because nobody walked in and said, I am so glad that you guys built a new building because these other 64 church buildings I passed by on the way to yours, they just weren't nearly as pretty as yours. See, because it was never God's intention on Pentecost or even now for the church to ever take a posture of, well, if we build it, they will come. It was always God's intent to send us. Jesus said, I've already built it. You go to them so that they will see them and so that they will come. See, that requires divine interruption. So the question for us, church, is will we be a church that allows God to divinely interrupt us? And I know you're surprised by this, but I'm going a little long. This is the last thing I need to say. I am sorry to you as a church that I have not done a good enough job teaching about what it means and what it looks like to listen and surrender to the work of the Holy Spirit. From this day forward, I have to be able to stand before Jesus and answer the question when he asks, Fred, do the people in this church know the Holy Spirit's work in their life? Do they know that I am working in them and wanting to work in them and among them and through them in powerful, disorienting, beautiful ways? I've got to be able to answer yes. And I'm just not convinced I could right now. And that changes for this church, at least while I'm here today. Because the question for us is, will we learn how to let the Holy Spirit have his way with our individual lives, even if he makes us uncomfortable, in the life of this church? And the answer has to be yes.